The Bible reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 13. And before we read it, I'll just pray for the reading that it would be clear as we hear about the transfiguration this morning. And we pray for Dave as he explains the meaning of this passage to us. Thank you, Lord. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say because they were so frightened. And then a cloud appeared and covered them, and the voice came from the cloud, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restore all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it was written about him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, uh, everyone. Well, today is the last sermon in our current series on Mark's Gospel. We'll uh, continue Mark's Gospel next year uh, leading up to Easter. Um, next week uh, for November and uh, December, um, we will be uh, starting a new series on 1 Samuel. Uh, so that's going to be from what, uh, chapters 1 to 8. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, the time between the judges and the appointment of God's first king. And so if you want, please read ahead and familiarise yourself with uh, this wonderful narrative in the Old Testament. Um, and that will really help us to get to know the book well, but also how Jesus is the promised Messiah that we all need. So friends, uh, why don't we pray uh, now and then we'll uh, look at today's passage together. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you are good and gracious God. We thank you for the gospel according to Mark, for your word to us today. We thank you that Jesus is your son and he came to do your work so that he may fulfill your will. And Father, as we come to the end of our current series, may you continue to encourage us to not only know Christ, but to listen to him and follow him. For he is worth everything. And we pray that we may see that this morning in his transfiguration. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, after I graduated from Melbourne University, I went to work at Telstra in knowledge management. So if you've ever had problems with the internet, I promise I had nothing to do with it. 
My boss's name was Andrew. I thought he was like any other boss, uh, intelligent, decisive, strategic, and hardworking. A couple of months into the job, another person joins the team and he becomes our team leader. So his boss is Andrew as well. And this guy knows his stuff. He came over from ANZ after years of experience in knowledge management. But prior to that, he was actually a professor at Deakin University. And so he, well, one day he, he just grabbed me after being in the role for a little while. He asked me and he said to me, do you know that Andrew, our boss, is a bit of a genius? I, I had no idea. I thought Andrew was just an ordinary middle manager at Telstra, but Andrew was apparently very good at what he did. And my team leader was absolutely spot on because a few months later, Andrew gets a promotion as Telstra's new CIO of Telstra Clear, uh, the chief information officer of Telstra subsidiary in New Zealand. Now, all along, I thought I knew Andrew and I assumed that he was just like any other boss, but he wasn't. He was actually a hotshot in the IT world and I had no idea. I had to be told. Now, have you ever had a similar experience like that where you thought you knew someone, but actually it took a little while or for someone to tell you who they really are? So, for example, Lois Lane thought she knew Clark Kent until she realised this is actually Superman. Uh, Rachel Dawes thought that she knew Bruce Wayne until she realised he's actually Batman. And, and what we'll see in today's passage is that some of the di disciples thought they knew Jesus but today's passage actually helps them to realize who Jesus really is. No, not Superman or Batman. He, he wasn't created for entertainment or a figment of their imagination. They come to realize that he's the son of God who became the son of man. To live the life we can't, to die the death we deserve. To rise from the dead in victory and to sit on the throne in glory. And in today's passage, as we wrap up our study in Mark's gospel, we're given a glimpse of Jesus' true identity as we see a glimpse of his awesome glory. Now, the setting for this encounter isn't on planet Krypton or in a bat cave, but high up in a mountain. Verse 2, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. So Jesus takes three of his closest disciples up on a mountain. Now, now, lots of smart people have tried to work out which mountain this is. It could be Mount Hermon or Mount Myron or Mount Tabor. Uh, whichever it is, it, it doesn't matter. The, the point is that Jesus wasn't taking his disciples on a stroll, but a hike, a hike to the top of a mountain. And if you know your Bible, then you'll know that big things happen on top of mountains. So, for example, when the President of the United States addresses the nation from the Oval Office, you know it's going to be an important address that he makes to his nation. You need to pay attention. You listen in, you turn on the TV, you tune the radio so that you can hear from the President. But when people go up on the mountain in the Bible, we need to do the same. It's an important event. You need to pay attention. Like Moses, when he went up, Mount Sinai, he received the Ten Commandments. Or like Elijah, when he went up Mount Sinai, he stood in the presence of God. Important things happen on mountaintops. And this is another mountaintop experience, an experience that Peter, James, and John will have firsthand so that they might know Jesus. 
They thought they knew Jesus, but they hadn't seen nothing yet. So verse 2, there he was, there Jesus was, transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white. Why didn't anyone in the world could bleach them? Now, I don't know what kind of friends you have, but if I had a friend whose face started shining like the sun, I've seen enough movies to know that either an alien's going to hatch from their face and climb out of it, or they've been hanging around a nuclear plant for way too long. Regardless, I'd be calling triple zero. But of course, that's not what's going on here. This isn't normal. Because Jesus isn't your everyday bloke. He's being transfigured. But what does transfiguration mean? What, what does it mean for Jesus to be transfigured? Well, the word transfigured simply means transformed. The original word is metamorpho. It's where we get the word metamorphosis from. So when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly or a tadpole becomes a frog, it's been transfigured. It's undergone metamorphosis. The caterpillar has become the butterfly and the tadpole has become the frog. It's completely transformed. But the amazing thing is that it's still the same creature. And so when Jesus is transfigured, he's completely transformed. But he's still the same person. So the question then is, why is this happening? Why is Jesus being transfigured? Well, it's actually because Jesus is peeling back his humanity. He's peeling back his humanity so that his disciples will know that he's not only fully human, but he's also fully God. It's like Clark Kent taking off his glasses and magically you realise he's Superman. And it's like Bruce Wayne taking you to his Batcave and you realise he's also Batman. And when you lift the hood of Jesus' humanity, you see his glory and his divinity. You see that he's God in human flesh. And no one ever has been transfigured except for Jesus. And Moses was buried by God and Elijah was taken up by God. But Jesus was transfigured by God because he is God. Moses may have reflected the glory of God as the moon reflects the light of the sun. But Jesus produces the unsurpassing glory of God as his face shines like the sun. You see, Jesus doesn't point to the glory of God as Moses did. Jesus is the glory of God in human form. The author of Hebrew puts it like this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. You see, to see Jesus is to see God. And as a fully human being, he's going to die a fully human death. But as fully God, he's going to be raised and glorified because he's fully divine. The disciples know that Jesus is fully human. They have no problems with that concept because they've seen him tired. They've seen him fall asleep. They've seen him thirst and hunger. They've seen him duck out for a number two. And apart from the miracles he's performed and his authoritative teaching, they haven't seen Jesus in his entire divine glory, like the way that God revealed himself in divine glory in the Old Testament. And so Jesus is transfigured right before their eyes, his closest three friends, 
to give them a glimpse of his divinity, a sneak peek of his glory that will come after the cross and the resurrection. This experience gives the disciples time to realize that Jesus is, in fact, God incarnate. And this is how we see Jesus, isn't it? Not just a better version of you and me, but the glorious Son of Man, the awesome Son of God. What the disciples needed to know and what we need to remember is that Jesus isn't just the Son of Man who died on the cross. He's also the Son of God who rose after conquering the grave. And so it's not surprising that Jesus is then joined by Moses and Elijah, verse 4. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. If Jesus' transfiguration points to his future glory after his resurrection, then it makes sense that Moses and Elijah appear. You see, if you have any doubt that there's an afterlife, then you've got your proof right there. 1,500 years earlier, Moses died, but now he appears alive and well with Jesus. 850 years earlier, Elijah died, didn't die. He was taken up by God. And now he appears alive and well with Jesus as well. And not only that, these two great Old Testament giants represent the law and the prophets. Moses is the one who gave the law, and Elijah is arguably the greatest of the prophets. And so together they represent the whole Old Testament, and they both point to Jesus. And so now that Jesus has come, their job is done. It's time for them, for Jesus to do his job. Now, you can just imagine how exciting this would have been for the disciples. Not only was Jesus transfigured, two of their greatest heroes of all time are standing right in front of them. And so like a bunch of schoolgirls at a Justin Bieber concert, they didn't want this moment to ever end. If we were on that mountain and saw what Peter, James, and John saw, we would have whipped out our iPhones and started snapping away to try and capture the moment and maybe even take a selfie or two. But Jesus has his own first century idea. Verse 5. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. See, Peter didn't know what to say. didn't know what to do. But it sounds like all he wanted was for this moment to last forever. When you think this mountaintop experience couldn't get any better, then wait until you see what happens in verse 7. God the Father comes in to top it all off. Verse 7. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. Just as God descended on Mount Sinai in a cloud, so now God descends on this mountain in a cloud. Now, the cloud is the visible symbol of God's presence and glory. And from within the cloud, God says something amazing. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. If Peter, James, and John had any doubt who Jesus was, they didn't have to doubt anymore. If they wondered if Jesus was worth listening to, they didn't have to wonder anymore. 
when Jesus was baptized, only Jesus saw the heavens open up. When Jesus was baptized, only Jesus heard God declare, you are my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. But now, for the very first time in Mark's gospel, Peter, James, and John hear from God directly. They hear God the Father say to them that Jesus is my son. They hear that Jesus is loved by God the Father, and they're told by God himself that they must listen to Jesus. They must listen to Jesus because Jesus is God's own son. And as we saw last week, listening to Jesus means denying ourselves. It means carrying our cross. It means following Jesus. When Warren Buffett talks about investments, people listen. His credentials as an investor are unrivaled. You do well to listen to Warren Buffett if you want to be a successful investor. When Michael Jordan speaks about basketball, people listen. He's one of the greatest basketballers ever and the current owner of the Charlotte Hornets. And so you do well to listen to Jordan if you want to flourish in the NBA. And so when Jesus speaks, we must listen. As the one through whom all things were made, we must listen to him. As the son of God, we must listen to him. And as the one who came to pay the ransom for our sins, we want to listen to him, don't we? Now, now, when the disciples heard God speak, they were rightfully terrified. So they prostrated themselves on the rocky ground. There was no greater lawgiver than Moses and no greater prophet than Elijah, but now the Son of God has come. And so Moses and Elijah fade into the background. The one in whom they were pointing to has now arrived. And the disciples find themselves face to face with Jesus alone again. Verse 8. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Jesus and the disciples then began to head down the mountain. The disciples probably can't wait to tell everyone about it, but Jesus tells them not to, at least until he's been raised from the dead. Verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Jesus told them not to tell anyone yet because it will only be after he dies, the death he doesn't deserve, and conquers the grave for the undeserved, that the disciples will finally understand what it means for Jesus to be the servant king they need and not the military king they want. In fact, even Peter, James, and John, who just witnessed this extraordinary event, are still confused about it all. It's a lot to take in. And so they asked Jesus about Elijah, verse 11. Why did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Now, the disciples are thinking about the prophecy in Malachi 4, 5, and we looked at that last week. And so Jesus connects the dots for them. He says Elijah has come. He, he was John the Baptist, who not only prepared the way but was beheaded for his ways. Verse 12. To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. Now, if last week's passage was about Jesus' death, today's passage is about Jesus' glory. 
His death and his glorification go hand in hand because glory follows suffering. But Jesus' transfiguration also reminds us of our own transfiguration. For all of us who listen to Jesus and put our trust in him, we will also be transfigured into the likeness of Jesus. We'll be made like him when he returns in glory. We'll stand with him in all his glory. Isn't that a wonderful thing to look forward to? Aren't you just praying that that day could come even today? It's hard, as we heard last week, to carry your cross to follow Jesus. But when you look at the glory to come, it puts it all into perspective, doesn't it? I'm sure Jesus wasn't looking forward to the cross. So he looked beyond the cross to glory. He lived by faith, not by sight. He lived in hope, not in despair. Glory follows suffering. Suffering is followed by glory. And that's the perspective we must have if we're children of God if we're heirs of God, if we want to share in the glory of Jesus, then we must also share in the sufferings of Jesus. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 7. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Even then we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. No one likes to suffer. But any suffering we endure because of Jesus will be worth it. Our suffering is not in vain. It was worth it for Jesus, even enduring death on the cross. And so it will be worth it for us, even if it means carrying our cross. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. In us, sorry. Just as there's no resurrection with the cross of Christ, so there's no glory without suffering for us. And so when things are tough and you're tired, you're discouraged, and when you wonder whether the sacrifices you keep making as a Christian is worth it, or the ways you keep denying yourself of worldly pleasures may even sometimes make you contemplate giving up on Jesus, whenever you have feelings like these, Please look at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus because it reminds you, just as it has continued to remind me, that Jesus didn't just suffer and die. He was also glorified. And brothers and sisters, you will be too. You will be too. So stick with Jesus. Not, not just when it's easy, but especially when it's hard. Because it's often when things are hard that your transfiguration is already taking place. You see, the good news is that we don't have to wait to be transfigured like Jesus when he returns. He's transfiguring us right now for all who listen to him. You see, the word that's translated transformed in 2 Corinthians 3 and Romans 12, is the same word used here to describe Jesus' transfiguration. Remember the word? 
metamorpho o. 2 Corinthians 3 8 says this, and we all who with unbowed faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed, that is transfigured, it's the same word, we're being transfigured into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see, you and I are all works in progress and we'll only arrive at our destination when Jesus returns. But for now, he's given us his Spirit, who's transforming us from the inside out, from one degree of glory to the next. But this is, this is something that's not just happening to us. It's also something we're doing as well as we cooperate, as we work with the Spirit. So in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. That is, be transfigured by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, as Christians, we don't just listen to Jesus. We also think and live transformed lives as the Spirit works in us. And as we do this, our inward transfiguration experience will manifest itself outwardly as Jesus' glorifying behaviour. And so we won't just think about carrying our cross. We'll actually carry our cross. We won't just think about saying sorry when we hurt one another. We'll actually say sorry and seek forgiveness and reconciliation when we hurt one another. We won't just think about loving our neighbours as ourselves. We'll actually love our neighbours as ourselves. So, friends, let's keep encouraging each other to keep listening to Jesus and rest in the knowledge that one day Jesus will return to take us home and then he will transfigure us into his likeness to share in his glory as co-heirs with him and as children of God. Amen.